0: Welcome to the Paris of the Plains. From Kansas City, I'm your host, Matt Hodap. For the past few weeks, we've been bringing you real Kansas City ghost stories. This is the final episode, our Halloween special. These haunting stories are as powerful as they are scary and show how the paranormal may try to kill us or save our life. That sometimes moving on can be really hard. This is Sandy and Denise.
1: My name's Sandy and I am a docent at the John Warnell House Museum. It's a Kansas City treasure. John Warnell built it in 1858. It was given uh, to the Historical Society in 1964. When I began working there, um, I heard other docents speaking about paranormal experiences that had happened to them. and I, so I talked to several of them and I said, oh, I don't, I'm not sure I want to do this. And they said, really, it's, you know, it's very benign. So I thought, well, okay, this should be interesting. One day I was in the house and I was working in the office, which looks into the master bedroom. In that room, there is a small, um, it's a little cabinet. And in the bottom of the little cabinet, uh, there are um, two doors that come together. Well, I kept looking in there, and all of a sudden, one of the doors in the bottom of it was open. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I never dreamed. I I thought it was just, you know, old wood. And so I went over, and I very carefully closed the door until it clicked. And then I went back um, to to my work. Oh, well, there it was again. It It opened again. I never saw it open, but I would look up, and it would be open and so i went back and closed it again well after i did this i don't know two or three times i realized somebody's fooling with me here (laughs) and i don't know who it is and i can't see them let me just first of all give you a little background here the Warnells had their son frank and then they had three little girls. And one of the little girls, Edna, lived till five years of age. The other two died, you know, right around a year or a little after, which is so sad. And there's a lot of activity in the little girls' room. And honestly, I think it was those little girls that kept opening that door on the, ch- the little piece. And, you know, and that was in, you know, their parents' room. But I just, it was just such a playful thing, you know. it's was like, okay, let's see what she does now, you know. And um, I think that, you know, it might have been them that did that. And my friend Sherry does a lot of paranormal uh, visits. When we allow paranormal researchers to come into the house. They want one or two docents because our primary goal is to protect our collection. So one day coming to work my friend Sherry had been on a paranormal the night before and the persons who had paid us the night before were um, a major who had just come back from Afghanistan and his wife. They were young, they were darling. Um, He had a small flashlight and the end of the flashlight was rubber. Probably most of you have seen this kind of thing. And so, but this one, it was just so easy to push, so easy. So she said they um, they were in the dining room, and Sherry had told me, odd nauseam hundreds of times there's somebody in that dining room and I never saw anybody and I never experienced anything and I thought Sherry please get over it you know it's not so they went to the dining room and the major uh, said um, I have a flashlight here that is very easy to manipulate he said I'm going to ask questions and if you want to reply yes to the questions please turn on the light if you want to reply no don't do anything so the first uh, question was, Is there someone here in the room with me? The light went on. You could imagine the dismay. <laughs> I mean, oh, okay, we have somebody. And then he said, Because, you know, the Warnell House was uh, the scene, they made it a field hospital during the Battle of Westport. So his next question was, um, Are you a soldier? and the light came on. He said he was a soldier too, and you know, and, and then he said, um, I'm kind of wondering, did you fight for the south? Nothing. Did you fight for the north? Yes, the light came on. And then he said, I'd like to know what your rank is, so I'll start up the ranks. The light came on with corporal. So now we know we have a corporal uh, who fought in the Civil War. And so we agreed that we would just on our own time try to contact him again and um, try to you know find out what the deal was. And so we we did that a couple of times, and he was there. And we'd get a light, but he would never really get into anything terribly uh, deep. We decided that maybe what made him want to communicate was the major. The major would understand battle, you know, and would understand him. So then we just started to look looking for anyone who had military service, and um, we we couldn't get anyone to come in. So along with um, the Warnell House, there are a number of reenactors, and so we thought, well, maybe if we got a reenactor, we hope to find one that was a. Soldier, but we couldn't. And we got one who he he reenacts as a doctor on the battlefield. So we got him to come. And so I knew we were in trouble when he started out with, Soldier, why are you following this woman around? And both of us, I mean, when he said this, we were just aghast. And um, Sherry mumbled to him, you know, it has to be a yes or no answer. So he said, um... Does, does this lady here, does she remind you of your girlfriend? Nothing. Does she remind you of your mother? Click, the light came on. So now we know he has a mom and she has blondish hair, and then, and this was the most horrible thing. He said, and not in a kind, loving way, he said, soldier, did you undergo an amputation in this room? I have never seen anything like that, and I hope to never see it again. The whole atmosphere in the room changed. And what I felt was hurt and anger. And it was like, I can't even really describe it very well, but there were like little little things that were floating through the air in there, almost like someone had blown something up and and you know, and you saw the residue from that. And uh, we just we just stopped it. There's a, a sweet little um, ghost slave that is sometimes in the kitchen. In fact, this is funny. We decided we were going to try to teach her basic reading because we want her to know her name, you know. And sometimes she's there, sometimes she's not. We've tried with the candle and all the different things, and we, we don't get a response. And we do believe that it has something to do with the fact that we can't name her. And so the whole idea was try to, and unfortunately, when you go back into the Warnell family records, um, and, and, then, and then we have gone down to the Harris House and seen slave records there, sale, slave sale records. It's wrong, but they don't name the women. The men have names. In John Warnell's history, you know, he names the the four slaves that he first brought with him to the house, and then one, I'm sorry, three slaves and one female slave. Someone else before us had seen her. She saw her, and she saw her pass through a window, which used to be a door, and she was outside, and she was digging. This has come down through, you know, I don't even know the person that, that did that. But, um, and so, for some reason, and this is, you know, people just make mistakes, but um, they put it in our script that we use when we go through the house that, um, that she might have been trying to bury a baby. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. You know, that's not nice. I mean, and no one meant to be mean. So one of the things that um, she said on, you know, you have your EM, EMVs, electronic voice messaging, and you can ask a question when you're in the presence of of someone and then they, you can hear them on the computer and it's very interesting. Sometimes you hear very relevant things, sometimes you don't, sometimes it's just mishmash and sometimes it's nothing. Well, the next time we were on uh, a paranormal and we're in the kitchen, um, her voice came on, not in response to one of our questions, but she said, I didn't have no baby. So I think that hurt her. You know, you, you have to be so careful. These are people. You know, they're, they're, they're beyond you, but they're people, and their feelings can be hurt. So we apologized to her, and we immediately took that out of the script. Yeah, so that's, um, you know, there are so many stories I could tell you, but I don't want anyone to be afraid to go there, because nothing scary ever happens, but some very interesting things do happen.
0: (laughs) After our conversation, I was lucky enough to be taken on a paranormal investigation of the John Mornall Museum. I was told to meet in the carriage house at midnight. As I approached, the moon traced the house with this haunting glow and the breeze blew cold, as though from some ominous source. And the museum is one of those homes that just looks incomplete without a ghostly figure staring out one of its windows. As I waited for my guide to arrive, a man in a Civil War outfit approached with his family. He was a reenactor yeah, right who would be joining us for the tour. See if you can call us. What well, I, Lexington, I, when we went to do uh, a reenactment. If you ever
2: get into Lexington, if you can ever get the parks. Anytime we wear our <laughs> uniforms in
0: Lexington, fighting, something happened. You know where the gray sites are? We were camped, there were a big A-tent. And we all, it had full moon like this now and the night lights. I had to go to the bathroom about 2 o'clock in the morning I was looking, and you see a soldier with his rifle walking along our tent. I got up there, there's nobody there. And I asked the guys, I said, was anybody picking pick, de- pick a duty out there? No, why? So said, there's a soldier walking back by our tent, because we we're right next to the grave. Eventually, a woman dressed in this dark black robe entered the room. She had a baby monitor strapped to her belt that would periodically beep, alerting her to something that remained a mystery to me.
2: I'll just introduce myself and give you a little info about me and how I got started in all this crazy stuff. I'm Denisea, and I got started in the paranormal. I grew up in a haunted house. Same old cliche story you hear from everybody. It really was, it was a cemetery out in the front. And also I had a near-death experience. I had respiratory failure when I was 19 years old. And so that's kind of why I do this. I'm researching for answers. <coughs> but here at this house, this is like visiting grandma's house. Um, it's, it's welcoming, very comfortable, but you will pick up a lot of residual energy here. Um, I'm not gonna tell you what we experienced tonight, but I'll let you guys find out on your own. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I brought a few toys. We
0: entered the house through the dining room, and Denise started setting up her equipment. She explained that she used an Equivox to communicate with spirits. Basically
2: what it is, it's um, a whole bunch of syllables, no words.
1: Just like woo,
2: woo," stuff like that. But um, we have actually picked up even pieces of this.
0: So nothing happened in the dining room. But as we entered the parlor, the room where many amputee soldiers died, everyone started feeling chills.
2: Is anybody in here? Would anybody like to speak to us tonight?
0: The Battle of Westport was tonight, right? The no. 23rd. Yeah, it's actually like no, 23rd. 23rd. And this is a 20, right? yeah. mm-hmm. the 29th, isn't it? is not the it? anniversary? Yes. Is there anybody
2: here that would like to mm-hmm. communicate with us tonight? Mm-hmm. We have a Union soldier? Mm-hmm. Some other fine people that are ready to hear whatever message you have for us. Talk. We have all the surgical equipment out. Looks like we've. Somebody's been doing surgery tonight.
0: As we were standing there in the darkness, I could tell that something was overcoming Denise. Like she was channeling a spirit.
2: I don't think I'm going to be leaving this place. No, I am dying here. I am dying. I am not going home.
0: A light in the hallway began flickering on and off, and you could hear people shifting around uncomfortably. Missing
2: an arm. You tell that union man to leave. I don't want him in my presence. He's standing there. He's scaring me. I don't know what the hell that was. Oh, I'm saying it now,
0: too. Eventually, we moved into the kitchen, and I shared Sandy's story about the amputee soldier. It seemed appropriate, since we had another reenactor there to try and contact him.
2: All right. We have a Union soldier over here that's higher ranking than you are.
0: <laughs> I'm getting kind of chill over here right now. You know what? And he he's he doesn't like you. You know
2: he's wondering why you're taking up the space and you're not out fighting.
0: When she start telling his soldiers, about. getting kind of chills like. Uh-huh.
2: How are you feeling?: kind of chills?
0: When did I start to up.: you know,
2: Are you a skeptic man or a believer?
0: I believe because I've seen it at Lexington..: All in the I had the there. pleasure of meeting up with Denise after the tour, and she kindly agreed to do an interview with me about her history with the paranormal. This is that interview.: So
2: my experience with the paranormal has been lifelong. It really came in full manifestation through a near-death experience when I was 19 years old. The whole story begins with my journey is from our house that my father bought. It's an old farmhouse in Lee's Summit and a little area called Knob Town, which is right on Little Blue River. And as we all know about rivers is that's conduct of energy, EMF energy. But Little Blue River has kind of its own little story. There has been murders here in Kansas City and um, bodies have been found in Little Blue River in that area where I um, grew up. And when we first went into this house, in one of the rooms, it was painted all black and there were symbols all over this room they were one of them was a pentagram but you know and i visualize pentagrams are not evil or anything but people who don't understand them um, do project them as symbols of evil but the energy of this home always seemed unsettled it was almost like there was like a constant breeze blowing through the home Uh, my parents are catholic and my mom always had, like, little statues of the Virgin Mary or, you know, other icons, and they would just or You always feel like the house is watching you. It wasn't just a ghost. It was something a little bit stronger and something that actually wanted to attack the family all kinds of different events happen. Um, Doors would fly open when there's no breezes outside and I'm not just saying slightly open, I mean fly open to the point where the screen door would almost rip off. My mother collect music boxes. She had probably 15 music boxes lined up and about three o'clock in the morning, every single music box went off in this room and it lasted for the whole duration of the sound of a music box. Every one of them in synchronicity went off. So that was very terrifying. Um, we started, then my brother started really rebelling to the point to where um, he was projecting violence. And this was nothing, my brother has never done this before. So whatever spirit was coming through was really attacking my brother and he was projecting it out towards me and my mother to the point of violence and it scared mom she kind of knew what was going on there's one thing you have to know about the paranormal is um, they can bring on um, breathing problems I never had asthma as a little girl I wasn't born with childhood asthma this asthma situation developed when I was 12 years old It grew so bad that I was coughing blood and my parents were taking me to emergency rooms once a week. And then on my, when I turned 19 years old, my senior year in high school, I had a full blown asthma attack that went into respiratory failure. And it was at the old farmhouse. My mother was already at the hospital with my cousin who was in a car accident and didn't know that her daughter was dying in the house. But a voice came to my mother and told her to get home and my mom dropped everything. She left my cousin at the hospital. And, there, and when she came into the front door, there I was, sitting in a chair, and I was dying. And they got me into the emergency room, and I went into convulsions. Full. I, I, actually, I died. I coded. I don't remember any of this, of what happened to me, but what I do remember was my near-death experience. And what it was, I was in the most blackened tube or room. you can, I mean, it was blacker than black. But I wasn't alone in this area. There was multiple beings with me. And I say beings because I don't think they were human. I don't even know if they were angelic. I have no clue. To this day, I have no clue who they were. They could be alien i don't know um but what they had was this intense overwhelming sensation of love and you'll never experience this feeling in this human realm that we are in right now and that was all i remember with my near-death experience you would think i would be enlightened i would be grateful it would just be my whole life would be changed no it didn't it changed it for the worse I wasn't grateful that I survived and actually I ended up with an alcohol problem afterwards. I hated God, I hated anything that I was even alive, you know, um, I hated the fact that I was even alive. And what I was searching for was that feeling I got when I was in that tube, was that love. I didn't have that love anymore and I was searching for it, that energy. And that uh, my alcohol problem stayed. This was 19 years old when I was experiencing this. Uh, My alcohol problem lasted till my 30s, and this anger I had lasted till then, until I actually till the birth of my son changed. So, one thing you have to understand too, when you have a near-death experience, it changes your antenna. It changes. There's something about you that changes. Yeah, everybody's born with intuition. And I, yeah, I had it. My mother was intuitive. And I had it as well, but I didn't focus on it or anything. But an, a near death experience changes it. So in 2014, I. Like everybody, we I go to I have physicals in May. It's physical time. I try to get blood work done, get my lungs checked out, everything. During the time when I was um, getting all my physicals done, um, it was two weeks before all my doctor's visits. I kept drawing butterflies. I'm not a fan of butterflies because to me, it represents spirit, which is represents death. I don't like butterflies. But I kept drawing them, I kept painting them. I'm also, I'm an artist, that's why I say this, that I'm, I'm, I kept painting them. It was so bad and so intense that I actually wanted to get a tattoo of butterfly. (laughs) And I'm like, what is wrong with me? I don't like butterflies. I mean, they're beautiful, but they just represent something I don't like that I have experienced before. And all these spirits that come around me, I don't like this, where is this coming from? Two weeks later, I was sleeping. And something woke me up in my sleep, and it said, bad girl. And after it said, bad girl, it licked my neck. I can feel the wetness. I can feel the texture of the tongue on my neck. And it went all the way up to my neck to my jaw very slowly. So I made another appointment. And when I went in there, I was sitting in there, and the nice nurse practitioner, her name is Melissa, She came over to me and she started feeling my neck. No other doctor has done this. Out of all the doctors I visited that month, and there was at least four of them, they never felt my neck. She felt my neck and she brought my hand over and she placed it on a portion of my neck. It was the lower part of my neck. And she goes, don't you feel this? I'm like, what? And I felt it. She had to move my hand around a little bit and it was huge and then she brought a mirror to me and you can actually see it I've never seen this before you know when I looked in the mirror and I don't know if all of a sudden it just started sticking out I don't know but it was a huge nodule sticking on my neck so she goes we're going to schedule a sonogram I'm going to have you go sit out in the waiting room and we're going to call you you're going to get a sonogram before you leave so as I was sitting in the waiting room waiting for them to call my name of course I'm nervous anybody would the, res- uh, the nurse or the receptionist, whoever it was, that came out, open up the front, open up the side door and they go, Margaret Garrett and I go, I'm here but that's not my name, that's my grandmother's name she died 20 years ago. I had a feeling granny was there holding my hand, grandma died of cancer and um, she was with me and yes they found the four centimeter nodule that the nurse um, felt but they also found two one-centimeter nodules that were on top of the thyroid, and that had papillary carcinoma. They didn't know at that point that it was cancer. Of course, they won't know until they do surgery. They performed the surgery, and something back in my mind said, take all the thyroid out. As they were rolling me down the hall to get to surgery, I go, take the thyroid out, all of it. When I wake up, the thyroid better be gone. Well, we don't really want to do that because it's very difficult to live without a thyroid. You can die. You can take a pill. Take it out. I woke up in recovery. They didn't take the thyroid all the way out. They left 5%. A week later, I get a phone call from my doctor. He goes, Denise, we're going back in surgery we found cancer on the 5% of the thyroid that was left. And I was furious. I go, I told you to take all the thyroid out. You didn't listen to me. I know what I'm saying. The interesting part was that side of my thyroid, that's the right side. That was where whatever it was licked. They licked whatever spirit that was that licked my neck very slowly was letting me know that's where your cancer is at. Back to the butterflies, the reason why I was drawing butterflies. I did not know, I don't know anything about the thyroid at the time. I, I, I later found out the thyroid is the shape of a butterfly. It's a butterfly shape. If spirit has something to say, they will say it. And, and I don't care if you can hold your ears and go, no, 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 I'm not
1: listening. They will get their message through.